Grab your Bibles, grab your notebooks. Let's go ahead and get into the scriptures today. We've been in a series called The Two Mountains, Tale of Two Mountains. It's a discussion about Mount Sinai in the Old Testament and Mount Zion in the New Testament. It's a conversation about judgment or law and grace. And so today we're going to talk about grace being extended to others, you know, over the course of these weeks and so many times is individuals, we love conversations about ourselves receiving grace. How many of you need grace and appreciate the message of grace? Raise your hand real big. Amen. But sometimes we can find it easier to receive grace than to extend grace to someone else. And so today we don't want to just talk about ourselves receiving grace. We want to learn how to extend grace to other individuals. Let's go ahead and start off today with Romans chapter 3, verse 23. I should have it for you on the screen, talking about grace for ourselves. For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We say that every week. Each one of us, we all need a Savior. Yet God, don't you love those yet gods in the Bible? Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. There's a quote for the day. You are right in his sight. Almost makes you want to snap your fingers at the devil. I am right in his sight. Mm -mm -mm. You are right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. You are made right with God when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Not based on all these works and performance. We are growing into this new grace and righteousness we've been given. You are made right. Say made right. Made right with God when you put your faith in what Jesus did for us. So this word grace that we're talking about in this series, what does it mean? What does the word mean? One definition that many theologians agree upon, it means undeserved favor. Undeserved favor with God. The word undeserved, you can write this in your notes if you're taking notes. So if we're gonna call grace undeserved favor, what does undeserved mean? Not warranted, not merited, and not earned. That is undeserved. It is not warranted. It is not merited. It is not earned. So we believe that for ourselves. Thank God that God's undeserved favor towards you is not warranted. There is nothing that I have done that warrants God's favor over my life. It is unmerited. I have not earned it. There it's unearned. And then what's the word favor, Pastor Kevin? So if we're talking about unmerited, undeserved favor, what's the word favor? Favor is something done out of goodwill rather than justice, an act of kindness. And so that's what God has done for us. He has put us in a place of undeserved privilege. We are seated in him and with him in heavenly places. We have been forgiven. We don't earn that. We don't merit that. We merit and warrant the judgment for being in rebellion towards God. We warrant hell, typically to be truthful, right? Come on, church. We warrant punishment because we have broken his law. We have come out of alignment with him. But he gives us, because of Jesus, he gives us unmerited, unearned favor, which is kindness towards us, which is position with him, 
which is access to his throne of grace. We don't merit, we don't earn any of that. We merit punishment, but yet he gives us undeserved favor. Somebody just get excited about that, would you just for a minute? So I wanted to take a minute and just kind of talk about that because we are getting something so good, something we don't deserve, and we're not just receiving, as Maria preached last week, we're not just receiving forgiveness, we're actually receiving kindness. We're receiving empowerment and ability and receiving access and all these things. It's not just about being forgiven, we're actually receiving something, something unmerited, unwarranted. And so now that we've talked about us receiving all these things, you know there's times in our life where we need to be able to extend that same type of grace to a human being. Someone who doesn't deserve forgiveness, but yet we still extend forgiveness. Someone who doesn't merit kindness, but yet we still act in kindness towards individuals that really deserve a little bit of judgment. Come on now. <laughs> but yet we turn the other cheek. This is Christianity. This is how God has been to us. And we're meant to imitate God like dear children. But why is it easier for us to give a little bit of law and a little harder to give a little bit of grace? It's a little more natural. But yet that's not how God's dealt with us. Open your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Matthew chapter 18. I have a lot of scripture for you today, which I love and I'm excited about. And so get ready to read a lot of Bible. Matthew chapter 18, have you found it? So why do we extend grace to others? God gave us grace and commands us to do the same. That's the bottom line. Even if there were no other benefits, although there is benefits to extending grace to others, even if there were no other benefits, the fact that God commands us to extend grace, the fact that God gave us grace that we did not deserve, we are meant to extend that grace to other people. Matthew chapter 18, have you found it in your Bibles? Say a big amen if you found it in your Bibles. Verse 21 through 35. Then Peter came to him, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? I think that's such a human question. Don't you think God just looked at us like that sounds like human beings right there? Like, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? Like, what's the limit? What's the max? And then Peter is saying, seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. That's the New Living Translation. Millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, everything he owned to pay his debt. But the man fell down before the master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then the master filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. Could you imagine owing millions of dollars, your debt being called, you're being brought in, and the person you owe the millions of dollars to takes pity on you and says, I forgive you of that debt because I've taken pity upon you. 
I know times where I've paid off a debt. It could be a credit card debt or a car debt. And man, I just want to dance. Hallelujah. And then there's times where for some reason or another, medical bills or things happen in the house that you got to fix it right away and you end up putting just a couple of thousand dollars on your debt. You're like, oh, that's so much. I could not imagine owing millions of dollars to someone, the pressure and the weight of that. But you know what? Truthfully, we owe God much more than millions. We don't understand the cost of our sin. Come on now, church. Sometimes we don't appreciate the forgiveness of something that we didn't know the cost of it, the depth of it. But when the man left the king and went to a fellow servant, so his brother now or sister, went to his fellow servant who owed him just a few thousand dollars, he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. He pleaded, but his creditor would not wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison until his debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called the man he had forgiven and he said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt, but you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy for your fellow servant just as I had mercy upon you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he has paid his entire debt. This is what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. That's powerful. That's powerful. You can celebrate the scripture, but then let it sink in. <laughs> so many times we hold other people accountable and we do not give them grace and mercy. Though they've sinned against us, understand that. But compared to what we owed God, we received so much of what we did not deserve from God. And yet we still want these human beings to pay back what we believe that we deserve from them. Are you understanding that? And God is saying, look, I freely released you. I freely released you. I gave you, remember, unmerited, undeserved acts of kindness, undeserved acts of forgiveness and release. Remember, that's what forgiveness is about. It's not that you earned it. It's not that you deserved it, but it was that you received what you didn't deserve, which again was Maria was preaching last week. The fact they needed grace from us implies they've actually wronged us or owe us something due us. Sometimes we need to let that sink in. Here God is telling us that we need to extend grace. We need to extend this mercy that we've received. But the fact that we need to extend it means it's real. The offense is real. You, you're not forgiving a fake or an imagined thing. You're forgiving a real thing. And it's okay. It's okay to say that really hurt. That was wrong. That should not have happened to me. It's also okay to realize that they owe you something. I, I deserve an apology. I deserve this or this or this. As a human being, respecting other human beings, there is something owed back. Those are all real things, but we're still meant to forgive. Even if they never apologize. Even if they never do what you think they should do, 
You can only control who? You. So your decision of grace and mercy is about you and God, not about whether or not they do anything. Are you here in that church? Extending grace releases them from our judgment, but not the consequences beyond our control. Even though I may forgive if someone has chosen a lifestyle or to live a life of offending or sinning against God or wickedness, even though I may forgive them, do you realize they will still have to deal with the consequences of what their performance is, 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 is creating? You understand that? So sometimes we get concerned if I release them in forgiveness, what's going to happen to them? I just want you to understand that what happens in their life is not something that you can control or you're in charge of. The only thing you're in charge of is you releasing them from your judgment. And God released us from his. So their journey now is their journey. But it's important that you extend that grace to that person who, yes, actually hurt, offended, and really deserves one thing, but you're giving them the undeserved favor that you've received. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. The other benefit is, first of all, removing you from a position of judgment, but secondly, is it's also releasing you from the poison of offense. Remember what I said in the beginning, even if it never benefited you at all, but you forgive just because God forgave you and God commands you to forgive, then that's enough. But there is a benefit. Us releasing others, giving them grace that they do not deserve, forgiveness that they don't deserve, also removes the poison of offense from our lives. I've heard it said before that unforgiveness is like us drinking poison, hoping the other person suffers. By you releasing them, you are no longer drinking that poison because bitterness will dry you up. Amen. Unforgiveness will steal from our lives. It'll steal from other relationships. It'll keep you from being open to new friendships. You become something you won't want to be if you allow unforgiveness and bitterness to stay your portion. So God, in releasing them, or encouraging us to release them, is also helping us. And we have to see it as God trying to help us. Amen. God's trying to help you get your life moving. Because you can get stuck in a moment. You can get stuck in that offense, stuck in that place where that person hurt you, offended you, waiting for them to apologize, waiting for them to pay you back. And your life is on hold until that happens. That may never happen. But if you release them like God tells you to, like God released you, if you do what God said, then you can get on with your life and let them and God work out theirs. Somebody celebrate that. God's trying to get us moving forward. Amen. Extending grace feels hard. Judging feels so much easier. Sometimes we want to be judge and jury. Come on now. Let me bring you into the courtroom of my judgment. And let me introduce you to the jury of myself. All in favor, say condemn. I will confess to you today that this is an area that I do struggle in. This ease of judgmental spirit 
this critical spirit. Sometimes I struggle from moving from being constructive to just being critical. Do I have any other recovering critical spirits in the room? Can you be honest with me for a minute? Thank you. At least I'm not alone. I appreciate that. I was really worried no one was going to raise their hand. And I was like, yep, Pastor Kevin, this is between you and God. Deal with yourself. I'm up here by myself. Sometimes what makes you good can also be your weakness. And I can walk into a restaurant and say, this needs to change, that needs to change. I can walk into a theme park and say, the customer service could be more like this. I can walk into a church and say, I wish this was like this, like this. But then I can also take on a critical spirit where I am just in a position of being what you might hear called a judger. I don't want to live my life as a judger. I want to extend some grace. I want to know what the difference is between being constructive and just being critical over other people's lives. Matthew chapter 7, go to Matthew chapter 7, just a little bit over. I'm going to bring all this judger and forgiveness and all these things together in just a little bit. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Are you there? It's not very far from where we were, so hopefully you get there quickly. Chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge others. You will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the same standard in which you will be judged. Why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that little speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! Exclamation point in my Bible. First get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your brother's eye, in your friend's eye. So I bought a, got a little illustration for you today. Come on now. Get you a good picture of that. This is most of us in the spirit. Come on now, church. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. And we're going around saying, look at that speck in your eye. Look at that little piece of dust. Let me help you with that little piece of dust in your eye. It annoys me. But don't, don't, don't judge me. Don't show me what I've got going on. Oops, in my own life. Whoa. That was a lot bigger of a log than I thought. My death perception is really off right now. But do you see this for a second? Let this ridiculous illustration stay with us. Because this is what Jesus was telling us. So many times we're concerned about everyone else's issues when we've got this thing sticking out of our own eye. And we take this position of being critical of everybody else and being a judger of everyone else when we have this thing in our own life. And maybe the reason we're so busy focusing on everyone else is because we don't want to deal with what's going on in our own, ours, in our own life. Are you seeing this, church? There's two big issues here. Two big, two big issues here. <laughs> one, one issue. First issue is this. There is a large piece of wood in my eye. <laughs> That's an issue. Can I hear an amen? There is a large piece of wood in my eye, 
And the issue is, I'm not dealing with it. Do you hear that? I'm just living life like this. That's an issue. And I'm allowing it to be there. I'm not letting the Holy Spirit help me get freedom from it. So that's issue number one, is I have a log in my eye that I'm not dealing with. Issue number two, my view of you is obstructed or distorted. And here I am trying to judge you. Did you hear what I just said? I have a log in my eye. Which tells me that what I think I see in you, I cannot even trust what I think I see because my vision is obstructed. That's a big issue. If you're gonna be the judge and jury of mankind, we have to understand that if we're not dealing with some things in our own lives, that what we're even seeing in other people is being obstructed and it is not the accurate picture because our vision is obstructed. We're not seeing the whole picture. And here's the thing. Sometimes the reason we're not dealing with that thing in our eye is because we don't even know it's there. Like it's one thing if you know that it's there and you're ignoring it. It's another thing that you don't even realize there's a log in your eye. That was a big awakening aha moment I had with God one time. I was praying about this verse. I don't know why this verse became so real to me. Maybe because I was having this temptation to be a judger all the time. And... I read it and realized that here I am walking around with a log in my eye and according to the scripture, the individual doesn't even realize it's there. I've said this many times in church because it's what the Lord spoke to me when he made that real to me and that is the danger of deception. The most dangerous thing about deception is that it's so deceiving. You don't realize it's there. And so you genuinely think how you're viewing other people, you genuinely think that this criticalness that you're living under, this judgy spirit that you're walking in, you don't see the toxicity of it, you don't see the danger of it because you have this log or this concern, this issue in your life. You're not seeing the world right, you're not seeing the scripture right, you're not even seeing the church you're a part of right. Are you understanding this? Your lens, your vision is blurred. And so Jesus is saying, look, let's deal with that in your own eye. He doesn't say don't help other people with things going on in their life. He was just making sure that we start by looking at our own. Amen. So you say, Pastor Kevin, does judging mean that you ignore or turn a blind eye to sin? We are not told to ignore sin or sins against us. We're told to forgive. Do you understand that? If we were ignoring it, we wouldn't be commanded to forgive. Come on, church, hear this. The fact he's commanding us to forgive is telling us that we are not to turn a blind eye to sins or sins against us. He's just telling us what position to take when it happens. He's telling us to forgive. This means that we see it, we even know how badly it affected us, but then we choose to extend undeserved forgiveness to them. 
The problem with much of our judgment, including mine, is that it's not limited to actual sins against us. But assumptions that we make and that I make and opinions that we form about what other people are just doing. Come on, church. If we're walking around saying, well, I'm just dealing with sin, I'm trying to be the shining light against sin, we can look at our critical spirit and realize that the majority of our judger spirit is not regarding sin, but rather our opinion of how people should run their life. And they don't run it the way we think they should run it. Therefore, we judge and jury and condemn him. Are you hearing me, church? We judge people's motives. And the word judge there, you could write the word assume. We assume their motives of why they did this and why they said that. The truth is you don't know what's in a person's heart. Only God knows. Can we just take a step back and a lot of the stories we tell ourselves about why someone acted that way or treated us this way or failed to show up the way we wanted them to show up, we don't know why. Again, I'm being pretty vulnerable here. Have any of you ever been driving by yourself and had a complete conversation and argument with someone in your head while you're driving? Yeah? And you told them what's up and what for and why this and that and whatever. And then you show up and you see them in person and you feel all the emotions that you've just been fighting with them. They have no idea of your argument you've just had with them. We are assuming what's in their head. We're assuming what's in their heart. Only God knows what's in their heart and their motive. We don't have that much insight into them. And we have to understand that. Even if we think we're so spiritual that we can read men's minds, we don't have that power. You don't even read your husband's mind or your wife's mind. Somebody say amen. <laughs> we're not that good at that, but we judge. We judge based on our limited knowledge. There's another one. We judge based on assumption. We judge based on our limited knowledge. And John chapter 7, verse 24 says, stop judging by appearances. We, even if we see the surface and we see the outside, we still don't know how to make a proper judgment on that thing. Especially when it's not sin. Are you hearing me? It's just they're doing it different than I would prefer or that I think they should do it. But yet we still act like the judger. We don't extend grace. We don't extend favor. We don't extend kindness. We extend judgment, criticalness. We judge without a desire to help them. That's number three. See, here's the thing. If you are going to get involved in this situation, if you are going to have an opinion, may it be a helpful one, not just a critical one. It's one thing just to offer your opinion. It's another thing to offer your help. But we think we're being little prophets, walking around, casting our judgment on everybody, our opinion, but not actually being there to help. You know, even the Holy Spirit, which we are carriers of, come on church, we are carriers of the Holy Ghost. Even when he brings conviction, he's still the helper to help us improve in that area. He doesn't just show us what's off, he helps us get on board with what's right. 
You know, we're so into this judgment thing that we even judge other believers for practicing their faith differently, even though they're practicing it faithfully and sincerely according to their vision of scripture. We can look at other churches and be like, well, they should do this. How come they don't raise their hands? How come they don't dance? How come they don't do this? How come they do this? They're too liturgical. They're not liturgical enough. They're too old fashioned. They're too modern. They should have built their church like this. The church should be more like this. And we're even just judging other ways people are just trying to serve God. That's how far we can go, my friends. Romans 14, this is not just Pastor Kevin here, this is scripture. Romans 14, I just want us to see how far our judginess can go. And here we are not even offering grace, mercy, whatever. Even this is not even sin here we're talking about. We're just talking about opinion. Romans 14, chapter, or verse, chapter 14, verse 10, have you found it? So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? This is the Bible talking to Christians about how we're treating other Christians. Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, the judgment seat of Christ. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of you will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble. That really should be our charge, is that we live a life that doesn't put a stumbling block in somebody else's life. But even with other believers, God is saying, let me be their judge. Let me be their judge. You don't need to take on that burden. Again, so much of our critical tor criticalness towards others has to do with our own preferences and not due to sin. It would be a good test for us to think about our critical thoughts and determine how much of it is just you wanting things done your way or is it that person doing something against God's nature, character, principles, or precepts. Please listen to that. I really want to teach us, church, um, about this whole idea of judger and being able to define, am I just being critical of someone or is it genuinely something that is against, please write this list down, I'm giving it to you intentionally, is what they're doing, is what they're saying, is how they're behaving, is it against God's nature, God's character, God's principles, or God's precepts? If it's not against the things of God, if it's not against God's character, nature, principles, precepts, if it's not against that, it's just different than how you would want it, then just realize it's just us being critical. And we don't have to worry about that. They can be judged by God and you can release them. Amen? If we judge our brothers and sisters in Christ, it also means we'll judge our enemies and we're not even supposed to judge our enemies. What? Pastor Kevin, you're really preaching a hard message. No, I'm just giving you the scripture. We're not even supposed to be judging our enemies. And yet here we are judging our enemies, judging our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're just really judging anyone that comes into our view. Luke chapter six. Some of you might not understand this level of judgment, but if you were raised in my Italian household, you would understand this is the most natural thing in the world. Judge, judge, judge. It's easy, it's a habit. Say habit. We need to learn new habits. 
Luke chapter 6, verse 32. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. If you lend money to only those who can repay you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for full return. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Doesn't that sound like unmerited favor? Can we bring it back into our conversation about grace again? Undeserved. Remember, this is your enemies. Say enemies. This could be people who are against God in the world, people who persecute you for being a Christian, but you know, there could be people who offended you, people who stole from you, people who hurt you, people who do things that offend. Love your enemies. Do good to them. That's undeserved, unmerited, unearned kindness. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will be truly acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind. Remember, that's part of favor. He's kind to those who are unthankful. Man. And to the wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. Come on. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. You know, we've always used that talking about giving and money, but this is in the context of mercy and grace. Give mercy, give grace, give forgiveness. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaking together, making room for more, running over will be poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. You know, I've noticed that people who walk in criticalness, who walk in bitterness and offense, they tend to also receive criticism and back. back. Does that make sense? People who tend to forgive quickly tend to have relationships that also forgive quickly because you end up reaping what you sow. You end up getting back what you're giving out. You give grace, you give mercy, and you tend to have these relationships where a lot of mercy is also extended back to you. But if you are hard on everybody all the time, then it's pretty expected that there'll be a lot of hard legal judging back towards us as well. It's just scriptural principle. You might ask, Pastor Kevin, why is the church like this? Why is it so full of judgy people? The world was better. First, let me say something. That's not true. The world wasn't better. We like to use that, throw that around. I had better friends in the world. There are good, great people in the house of God. But we tell ourselves these stories of the world didn't ever backbite. Do you remember junior high? Do you remember high school? The world was so kind. The world was always accepting and loving. No, they weren't. It's why you wore what you wore. It's why you did your hair the way you did your hair. It's why you were doing all these things to get people to like you. So I just want to remind us that our memory of the world isn't accurate. It's not better than the family of God. So I wanted to remind you of that. But two, I want to also explain that the church, the house of God, is filled with people 
who are coming out of all kinds of stuff. They're coming out of brokenness, woundedness, addiction, witchcraft. Are you hearing me? Sin of all sorts, perversion. If you really look at what God's built, he's built this place that is constantly adding hurting, broken people who are still learning how to become partakers of a new nature. Hear what I said, we're learning how to become partakers of a new and divine nature. But we all still have a little bit of the old one in us too. That we're still kind of tries to, that old dead man tries to pop back up. Right? So you gotta like, like whack-a-mole, like beat the old dead man. Get back down there. Get back down there under that baptism water. Get back down there. Back into the ground. Every time that old flesh flash, come on, comes up. Just in Jesus' name. Sin no longer has dominion over me, but he's going to try. But can we appreciate the beauty of what God's created? A place for all of us to learn and to grow into something greater, into the image of God, into his character, into his personality, but we don't all have it together. But you put a bunch of us into this room and we're trying, but we're still going to hurt one another. We're still going to offend one another. But don't tell me that a bunch of people trying to grow into the image of God is not as good as a bunch of people trying to live for themselves and live like the world and the devil and sin. This is better, but it's part of the journey on this side of eternity. Amen. So Pastor Kevin, is it ever appropriate to judge? The Bible says that we are called to inspect people's fruit. I'm going to balance this, by the way, because you can also get into this culture in the world where it's like, don't judge me. You can do that in the church. You're not supposed to judge. Come on, a lot of snapping today. <laughs> don't judge me. The Bible says you can't judge. You can't judge me. Well, let's bring that back a little bit. Let's balance this out just a bit. Can I give you about 10 minutes of balancing it out real quick? Is it ever appropriate to judge? The Bible does say you are called to inspect people's fruit, both inside and outside the church. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but they're really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down, thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Recognizing people's fruit helps you make decisions on how to interact with them and whether or not you can trust them. There's nothing wrong with looking at someone's fruit in their life and saying, we're not supposed to be in partnership with each other. Come on. God isn't telling you, don't judge, don't judge, and just blindly give everything to everybody who's asking and demanding. Are you hearing me? It's like, become a business partner with someone who's gone bankrupt 10 times. Well, the Bible says I can't judge them, so I'm just gonna have to become their business partner. No, you don't. They went bankrupt 10 times. Like, the Bible doesn't say close your eyes and don't see it. Now, God may tell you to do that as an act of faith, but it's not like you cannot use what's called the common sense. 
<laughs> common sense is not so common. I heard that. So not judging isn't talking about throwing away your common sense, throwing away your ability to see their fruit. And in seeing their fruit, you know how you are to interact with them and what type of relationship you can have with them. That's really good preaching, Pastor Kevin. I know it is. We are to judge persistent, hear what I'm saying? We are, we are to judge persistent sin inside the church and not to just ignore it. Again, our culture is preaching a different message. Don't judge me, don't judge me. Da, 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 da. But the Bible actually commissions us to judge persistent, say persistent, sin. Another word would be habitual sin. The truth is all of us still fall short and make mistakes in sin. Does anyone in the room, not every once in a while, still have a sin? Raise your hand, we'd love to meet you. Jesus, oh, there you are. No, it's like, <laughs> listen, this isn't talking about the occasional, like we're trying, we're living for God, and then whoops, I slipped, you get back up, dust yourself off, keep going. This is talking about individuals who are choosing to remain in a consistent, sinful pattern and lifestyle. And yet they're in the church calling themselves a believer. The Bible says we are meant to judge that. But remember, all of our judgment isn't about just judging, it's about helping. You hear me, church? Just like God, he's not just trying to point out sin, he's trying to help us get freed from that sin. But if we're not allowed to see it and say that it's there and we just let them continue in it, we're hurting them and the church. Come on, church. We're not supposed to have a judging culture, so just do what you do and I won't bother you and da da da. We're letting them destroy their life and cancer spread throughout the church. And the heart is to love, which love is trying to help, right? And it's not loving them to leave them in that. We are to judge persistent sin inside the church and not ignore it. Everyone still sins on occasion, but a lifestyle of sin is an unsurrendered area in a believer's life, and it will become a cancer to them and to the body. This judging is for the health of the person as well as the body, not just being critical. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12 through 13, the amplified classic version. What business of mine is it and what right do I have to judge outsiders? Those are those outside the body or outside the church. Is it not those inside the church upon whom you are to pa pass disciplinary judgment, passing censoring sentence on them as the facts require? Notice it's a not just judgment, but it's a disciplinary judgment, which is meant to lead them to repentance, which is a changing of their mind a way of living. Are you hearing me? God alone sits in judgment on those who are outside. Drive out that wicked one from among you. Expel them from the church. This is such strong scripture. And we don't hear this anymore in modern day church. But listen, later on, Paul comes back and he says, reach out to that person. And now let's walk them into a path of restoration. But he was saying, you have to identify that sin, 
behavior, that habitual pattern. Again, not just people making mistakes, but someone who was desiring to live and flaunt a life unsurrendered to the Lord in that area. That is not okay to leave it in the church. And it's okay to bring that person in for counsel, discipleship, give them opportunity. But if they're like, no, this is how I'm gonna live, then to say, you know what? You need to step away from bringing that into the body. And then there comes a point where we're like, are you ready to surrender your heart? Because we want you a part of the body. We want you a part of the body. Are you hearing me, church? So it's not meant to just be judgmental or critical. It's meant to lead to repentance and restoration. But you can't just ignore it. So today was a reminder for myself and maybe for some of us. I don't like who I am when I'm living as the judge and jury of everyone's life. It's very tiring judging the world. It exhausts me. I don't like who I am when I'm assuming the worst about people instead of the best. I don't like it when I'm assuming others should act or respond in a certain way that I believe is fair, right, and perfect, or even when I am sure to disappoint or fall short of someone else, and I need room to grow on my journey with God. And I've seen lives dried up by a critical spirit, and I don't want to be that person when I grow up, <laughs> one day when I grow up. I want to live a life of forgiveness. Do you? I want to live a life of love and grace towards other people, giving them space on their journeys. And lastly this, sometimes I realize when I live a life of a judger over other people all the time, I seem to also have that same bad habit of judging myself and beating myself up as well. Where I'm not good enough, I'm not doing enough, and I'm not measuring up. I won't make you raise your hand with that either, but sometimes that judger spirit can be turned even on yourself. And we need freedom from that. Let me pray for you today. Let me pray this into our hearts and give you an opportunity to receive Jesus. God, right now I ask in Jesus' name that you help us as a church. Help us to take that same grace that we've been given freely, that same kindness that we did not deserve. Help us not just to receive it for ourselves, but help us to be imitators of you. Help us to extend grace, undeserved favor and kindness to people who offend us, who hurt us, who absolutely do things that are wrong and it's real. Help us forgive today. If that's you in this moment, just take a moment and ask God to help you forgive. There may be a face, there may be a moment in time and you say, God, help me to extend forgiveness, to extend grace to that person. And maybe it's even to yourself where you messed up, you failed and you've been the judger over your own life. God, help me to receive your grace and help me even to forgive myself for something that I did that I know I shouldn't have. I ask you to help me today to extend grace. God, I pray over this house that we know the difference between judging fruit and judging actual sin against the nature, character, ways of God or just our own opinions just our own way of seeing things and saying the world should act like we wanted to act. And we still walk in that critical spirit and it divides us from each other. It divides us from other Christians who could be great relationships, 
but we're just so in the habit of being critical that it divides us. And I pray forgiveness for that. And I pray you help us to learn how to walk with one another who are just different and who are growing into the image of God. I give you thanks for a beautiful community that you're building here. God, help us with giving grace, even when it's easier to judge. Help us to release that judger spirit and to be those that are more like you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Today, before I dismiss, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, the Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means every one of us needs a savior. It goes on to say that the wages and penalty of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. Finally, the Bible says, all who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I wanna give you an opportunity today to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to bring you into the family of God. You may say, Pastor Kevin, I don't remember a time in my life that I ever asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Let's do that today before you go. Or you may say, I used to have a relationship with God, but if I'm honest, I walked away, I've grown cold, and I need a restart with God. If that's you, I wanna pray for you too. If you'll just bow your head one more time, giving people privacy, I'm gonna to count to three. When I count to three, if that is you today, then you say, I want to call on Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior for the first time or to have a restart, then just raise your hand right where you are and I will pray, lead you in a prayer right at your seat. Ready? One, two, three. If that's you, would you put your hand up? We would be lo we'd love to pray with you today. Pop your hand up wherever you are and we will pray a prayer with you today. There's a hand, two hands right there. Wonderful. Anyone else today? I am not where I should be with God. There's a third hand in the back. I see you back there. I need to get right. Raise your hand. We'll pray together today. Anyone else? All right, church, would you pray a prayer with me and with them so they're not praying by themselves? Just pray this with all your heart as much as you, as much as you can. Just pray this prayer with your heart. Dear God, I thank you that you see me just as I am. I realize I've sinned and I've walked away from you. I receive Jesus Christ today as my Lord and Savior. I believe that he died for me, that he rose again. Please forgive me of my sins. Wash me, cleanse me, make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take every part of me now. Be my God. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you celebrate those who gave their hearts to the Lord today? Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.